This is The Tumbleweed, created because what we think and what we listen to have a deep impact on the health of our homes. Today's guest knows what it means to feel alone as a child, to let hate take over, and he has first-hand experience of true redemption. After 28 years in prison, today's guest, Ken Smith, shares with me how forgiveness and freedom go hand in hand. This is The Tumbleweed, Episode 1, and I'm your host, Gentry Giles. Well, Ken, it uh, has been a long time since we met each other last, and we kind of hit it off last time, but uh, I kind of, just to give yourself uh, in a nutshell, you know, you're at a you're at a dinner party, let's say, and somebody has no idea who you are, uh, comes up to you and says, hey, you know, good to meet you. What do you do? Uh, usually, I mean, how do you answer that question if you're trying to give somebody a good sense of who you are? I would probably go to the, you know, the prison ministry thing before I got too far away from anything, uh, because that's basically my, you know, prime, even though it's kind of on hiatus right now, that's still my, uh, my main goal, my priority kind of. So I would, I would probably work my way into trying to talk to them about the prison ministry I'm involved in. And that would probably lead to, you know, the discussion of why I was involved in prison ministry and stuff like that. So, right. Uh, I know, and do people usually know what a prison ministry is, or do you feel like it's something you have to kind of explain away? Uh, most people just on their own, they don't really, they don't really understand, you know, what goes on because they're not in, you know, why should they? They're not involved unless, unless they know somebody that's in, you know, that's in jail or has been in jail or, or involved in it themselves. Uh, they have no idea it even goes on most people. Right. And so do you, do you have kind of an elevator speech on what a prison ministry is or, uh, a good explanation that that you could share yeah i usually just tell them that uh you know the things i'm involved with i usually uh i'm with a group that does a thing called bridges to life which is a uh you know it's a recovery well, it's not really a recovery base it's it's a uh it's more of a life life changing ministry that has to do with, uh, you know, uh, people who have been involved in, you know, serious, you know, felony crimes coming to the idea of understanding how big an impact of what they did not only had on their just immediate victim, but on, on their families, their own families, their friends, you know, and, and how to, uh, how to make changes in life so that that doesn't happen again. That's the important thing. Right. So how, how did you get involved in a prison ministry? Well, of course, you know, I was in prison for 28 years and we talked about that. And, and of course, you know, I, I got to meet all kinds of guys that came in and did the same thing that I'm doing now, mentors in prison and prison ministry and stuff. And when I got out of prison, I, I never really had the intention of going back in myself. Uh, but uh, I just kept, amazingly enough, I, I met these two guys on the golf course in different times. And just, it was, I, I know full well it was God's doing. And uh, through both of those guys, I got hooked up with uh, a prison ministry called Kairos and, and another guy who uh, was involved in the Bridges to Life thing. So I, I knew about both those ministries when I was in, you know, when I was locked up. Uh, I was never involved in them, you know, as an inmate. But, you know, and so both of these guys and I, more people I met and I just felt like that's what God was leading me to do. 
Awesome. So, you know, you're out of prison and you're starting to feel called back in to, to minister. What, obviously at that point you're a believer. What's your, uh, what's your testimony? Well, that goes, uh, you know, I was, I was born in Pampa and I, we moved to Amarillo and I went to school, grew up here in Amarillo. And, uh, but you know, my whole thing revolves around the fact that when I was really young, I mean, in, you know, grade school, even before that, in my, I can just always remember that, you know, I had a, a same sex attraction and, you know, back then in the late sixties and, you know, growing up in the seventies, it's a lot different than it was now. You know, people didn't talk about it, what that came from. I just knew that I was different and I didn't like it. I, uh, you know, you hear other people talk and, and uh, there was a lot of prejudice and stuff against that kind of thing back then. And, and, you know, whether, you know, won't be judged, you know, judged whether people were right or wrong about any of that, but, but it made me, it, you know, just something that just totally dominated my life forever. And as I got older, you know, junior high school and high school, uh, you know, it made it a lot harder. Uh, so, uh, early in junior high school, uh, you know, I, began drinking alcohol with buddies, you know, drinking beer. And, and that turned into the thing that lasted all the way through junior high school and high school. I drank all the time because if I was drunk, I didn't have to be, you know, I could be a different person and I could make excuses for things or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. And it was, you know, so I, and I mean, I did good in school and I had, you know, I had everything, but it was, it was really life was already out of control. And, and when I got out of high school and started getting off on my own, I really, I didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't want to give into it because I, I didn't like it. I, you know, I didn't, you know, I, I, I didn't think it was right, but also didn't know how to get away from it or get over it. So uh, I, I wandered around a lot, did a lot of things, experimented with that, never, you know, found, of course, never found any dissatisfaction that you think you're going to find in things that you're, that you imagine. And, uh, uh, you know, I fought with my spiritual life. I, you know, tried to, uh, you know, would, would pray and ask God, you know, can't you make things different? Why am I like this? Why can't I just be normal? Why can't I be happy? And uh, I really, my life really spiraled out of control. I was just, it got to the point, even, even my family really didn't like me around. They would like, you know, they never knew what was going to happen. I was very volatile. And, uh, I won't go through everything, but it ended up that in uh, 1988, I ended up, uh, you know, taking taking the life of a guy who who was almost who was also, you know, he was he was a homosexual, and and uh, I don't know. I always think of the rationale is I was taking my anger against myself out on this guy because he was absolutely totally innocent. He was nothing of his fault. He didn't do anything. It was totally me, and. Uh, you know, that course, that just wrecked, wrecked my life, wrecked his life, wrecked his family's life. I didn't, uh, you know, I thought, well, I'm, I'm really in trouble now and I can't get out of this one because I always managed to get out of trouble before, but I couldn't get out of that trouble. So, uh, you know, I, I turned myself into the police and I gave him a confession and then uh, went to the jail, went to Potter County Jail and and the amazing thing about all that was in all this time, you know, I'd been searching for God, you know, God had never given up on me. And even and finally, when I got into this position that I really had no place else to turn to because there was, you know, there's there's nobody on earth that can help you. 
that situation. And, uh, you know, I found God still, still drawing at me, still tugging at my heart. And through reading the scriptures, you know, in, in jail there, you know, you can call it, you know, people talk about jailhouse religion. They can call it whatever they want. But, you know, God really sought me. And uh, it was in the county jail that I really came to understand what a relationship with Jesus Christ was. I, you know, I found repentance for what I'd done. And I began to understand that, you know, God may not change everything about me, but he's going to give me the power to live even in those circumstances. You know, everybody's got something they have to overcome in life. And, and, and through that, uh, you know, I've been able to, I've been able to do that. I went to trial. Of course, I was found guilty. I was given a 75 year prison sentence. I served 28 years and I was released on parole back in uh, November of 2016. And I came back to Amarillo, uh, paroled to my brother's house. I've since, you know, I moved out of my own stuff, but I've been out for almost four years now and uh, life's been really good. Found a great church and found a whole bunch of supportive people that have helped me out and, and God has really blessed me. So, Wow, that's absolutely incredible testimony. And there's so much there uh, that I want to address. But one of the big things I remember us talking about was how powerful your views uh, of a forgiveness are and how, how much you've felt forgiveness and kind of you have a unique perspective because um, as far as your crimes go to the public, it's almost, you know, it's about as high as it gets. And uh, like your views of forgiveness are, are, I think different or at least concentrated because when you know, whenever you come out and you're trying to reintegrate into society, you're experiencing people either accepting you or not. And you have a clear distinction of what that feels like. So um, I just remember when we met at that coffee shop, we talked a lot about forgiveness and how powerful it is. So um, is, is that true? You think that, that you're, you're experiencing that on a really personal level? Oh yeah, there's no doubt. I think, uh, you know, the, the two things that, that I think tie together are forgiveness and hope. And, uh, you know, I think all of us deep down, in our own inner being, we know that we don't measure up and we need, we need acceptance. We need forgiveness. Even if the rest of the world doesn't see it, we see it on ourselves. And, uh, you know, when, and, you know, and I tie forgiveness into the idea, you know, as, as a Christian, the forgiveness comes to the idea that, you know, that Jesus paid the penalty for my sin on the cross, but it goes to so much more than that in the idea that uh, as being forgiving, I've finally become, acceptable to someone without having to you know earn it make right. th- th- that forgiveness means that you know there's there's a there's a father in heaven who accepts me just exactly totally as i am he may not you know agree with everything i do or think or whatever but there's no doubt that that his love and his, his acceptance is just totally there there's nothing i can ever do to change that and that's not really something i grew up with and i don't think most people do even though my mom was a was a really great mom, and there's still always that idea that that people like you, you know, for who you are and how you act and what you do and and things. And and the forgiveness that God gives is just so far beyond that. Uh, and you know, I've experienced. I didn't. You know, we all wonder. You know, you know, when you meet people out in the world, how they're going to think. And I can honestly say that I don't think I've ran into a a bad 
you know, not anybody that I that I've told my whole you know my whole story to, and that's and that's mostly been you know Christian people and stuff. But I, I haven't received a bad reaction yet from anybody, not to my face anyway. You know, everybody's wow. all everybody has been is just extremely accept you know and a willing to give a second chance. You know, people are people are really willing to offer redemption and a second chance. It's it's really incredible. Wow. I'm glad that's been your experience. I I think it's going to impact a lot of people. Uh, I want to go back to um, you talking about how difficult your, your child was, uh, at least in your head, it was um, in your perception of how people looked at you. And of course, the culture was different as far as accepting of homosexuality or at least homosexual urges. Uh, what do you think? Um, well, let me ask you this first. Were you raised like in a religious home that told you that was bad or what, what made you think that was bad or wrong or, or something you shouldn't act on? Um, I wasn't really raised in a religious home. I, uh, you know, there, it was, a, it was a very, it was a home full of a lot of conflict. I'm the youngest of eight kids. And, uh, you know, there was always, <laughs> but my, I never, I never had a good relationship with my father. You know, my father was a very, uh, he could be frightening, but he could also be, you know, he had so much character and charisma. You wanted to be accepted by him. Mm. Uh, but, you know, he would, you know, he drank a lot and, and he was abusive to my mother and, and there was problems, you know, there was problems there. So it was, it was, it was my mom tried to make it a stable home, uh, but it really, it really wasn't until uh, they were divorced when I were, when I was like in sixth grade. So it was, you know, I was, you know, just living with my mom. Uh, was a lot better. I'd see my dad in the summers and stuff, and there could still be some some times of trouble in there. But it it became pretty settled. But you know, the idea of my inner conflict that never I mean that just never got settled because uh, yeah, like you say, people and I wasn't you know I went to church, but uh, there was just something in me that knew instinctively that the what I was was going through wasn't what way it was supposed to be. You know, I didn't understand why it was like that, but I but I knew that it that it wasn't supposed to be like that. And then, of course, back then, uh, society certainly wasn't accepting of it. And uh, I'm not sure if that was a good thing or a bad thing, but uh, it uh, it always, you know, made me afraid that you know. I, I guess first of all, you think you know I'm the only one that's that's like this. I'm the only one, you know. And I don't want, if anybody ever finds out, it'd be the end of the world. And of course, all those things work inside your head and they create all this fear and it's irrational, but it's just what it is, especially when you're young growing up. So as that developed and you got angrier and angrier and ended up um, in, you know, behind bars, whether it be in Potter or in prison, um, your identity kind of going into jail and into prison was one person. And then of course you become a believer in jail. How do you develop a um, Christian identity in uh, an environment like that, where the, I guess I assume the support is minimal. Um, where, where does that come from? Because, you know, most, most people assume that people get their identities from their families or their friends, the culture around them. You know, you watch TV, you see a joke and you learn as a child, you know, this is what's funny. And, um, you know, of course, you you were developed in this really contentious or contemptuous environment 
and then you get into jail and you get this new life. Uh, what was that like of getting a new identity while behind bars? Uh, you know, I think, and this is something I, I don't think people understand, but really, uh, you know, you kind of mentioned that you think that being in prison would be a hard place to, you know, to develop as a Christian. And it's actually the complete opposite. Huh. And it's, it's really an amazing, it's really an amazing thing. Uh, you know, in the, in the County jail, uh, I think the first thing, you know, people, uh, when you're, when you're locked up and you're around people 24 seven, uh, they can tell who's real about something and who's not. I mean, they can tell. Uh, and of course, you know, when you're in the county jail waiting to go to trial and stuff, there's a lot of people, uh, you know, looking for, looking for help, looking for, Hey, how can, you know, how can I get over this? What should I do? Whatever. Some of them have sincere motives. Some of them are just trying to get out, out from under responsibility, whatever. Uh, so I didn't have too much of a problem, uh, with that. Uh, when I finally went to prison, went down to TDC, I was really fortunate, uh, after a couple of units, I ended up at a place in Huntsville called, uh, it was the, it's the win, win unit in Huntsville. It's a, it's an old unit. It's where they make the license plates and stuff. Hmm. Uh, but they just have a great Christian ministry. And of course, the, the, you know, the prison's been there. It was built in the 1800s. So it's been there forever. And so when I get there, you know, uh, there are guys that have been there for 10, 15, 20 years, you know, already living there. And, uh, there's a there's a very good established Christian community there, and I'll never forget uh, the first day I was there. I walked in, you know, on the cell block that I was assigned to. I walked into the day room, uh, and I'm standing around. and It didn't take maybe three minutes for people to come up and say, "Hey, we got church tonight. You want to go?" And I'm like, "Wow, yeah, I want to." Yeah, it was an incredible place, and uh, the you know the thing there is a the thing about and I kind of, I kind of try to explain to people that I miss this in the world, but in prison, again, as you, you know, you're around the same people day, day and night and you work with them and you eat with them and, and you, you know, you spend your weekends with them and you may live in the, in the same place with, you know, the same guys for 10, 15 years and you develop, you know, great relationships. Uh, and there's a great, there's a great, really a Christian community because uh, you know, the chaplain can't do everything. And I tell people all the time, real prison ministry gets done by prisoners. That's who does prison ministry. Volunteers can go in and we can go in for a couple hours on Wednesday night or Thursday night or whatever, but we leave. And when something happens in the middle of the night, a guy gets a letter that somebody died or this or that or the other, it's going to be another inmate who's going to sit down and pray with him and talk to him and be the one, you know, that's going to that to tell him, you know, how come my life's different? You know, I, I've seen I've seen it happen millions of times. I was you know, I've been involved with and I've just I've got hundreds of testimonies of people who who, you know, came to know Christ because of the testimony in the works of, of other inmates. So it, it really is an incredible place in that in that aspect. Wow. Yeah. Ta- taking that model of how close you got to those guys and that unique experience. I mean, there's no other. Um, I mean, it almost sounds like you would get as close as spouses could get just because you're spending so much time together. How have you or what kind of lessons did you take from being behind bars to to being out here as far as like, did you miss spending time with people that much? Or did you like the 
ability to have more alone time or what, how did that translate into um, a life back into society? Uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of a mixed bag. You know, you, there's, there's no doubt that after being, being locked up where you're never alone, you know, ever, uh, you know, and there's never really quiet and solitude. Uh, it's nice to have that, you know, and, and I, I live by myself now, a small apartment. It's nice to go home and just sit there and, and be quiet. But there is also the, uh, you know, I made so many good friends and brothers and I keep in touch with them and some of them gotten out, some of them were still in. Uh, but there is a, uh, a bond there that you do kind of miss because it was like, you know, we're all in this together. We're all facing kind of the same thing. We're all trying to get through it. And there was a real, you know, uh, kind of like, you know, we're all fighting together where you get out in the world and, you know, I, I have a wonderful church and great Sunday school class and, and guys, but I don't really share that same kind of bond with them that I shared with some of the other guys, uh, you know, that I was locked up with and still share it with them, you know, uh, so like I say, some of them are out, some of them are still in, and I, I stay in contact with a lot of people. Uh, wow. So what, um, uh, you know, you have a prison ministry and you focus a lot of your attention there. Do you have any kind of um, intentions to minister or teach people who are unaware of uh, the kind of forgiveness and reacceptance that people can, I guess, maybe talk about Bridges to Life a little bit. That might help explain what I'm asking. Uh, yeah, Bridges to Life is a great example because it's a, uh, you know, the program was started by a man in Houston, a guy named John Sage, who his his sister was murdered. And John is a Christian man. And, you know, he was he was dealing with trying to find forgiveness for the person that that, you know, murdered his sister. And he's and he's trying to do all these things. And and uh, which is a great testimony in itself, actually. Uh and he came up with the idea that basically he was trying to come up with an idea that would help other victims, families cope with what they've gone through, you know, ways to get over it. You know, you always hear talk about people trying to find closure to things. And uh, so they came up with, a, you know, TDC was already on a limited basis. Uh, they would sometimes allow victims to meet with uh, the you know, the criminals and their, you know, and their crimes against them or against their family. It was very limited. Well, he came up with the idea of bringing victims of violent crime into the prisons to talk to inmates and let them know, uh, you know, what kind of effect, uh, not the, not the same inmates, you know, that committed the crimes against them, but other inmates. Hmm. And they would just let them know, you know, like uh, the, the drastic impact, because a lot of those guys really don't understand you know, apart from really brutal crimes, they don't understand that a lot of those crimes have impacts way beyond what they see. You know, they see it hurts them, it hurts their family and that, but they really don't understand, you know. And so Bridges to Life is a is a course that tries to help the inmate, you know, not only, uh, you know, take responsibility for what they've done, but also try to understand why they did it in the first place. And to try to make changes in their lives so they don't, when they do get out, because almost every inmate's going to get out eventually, that they don't do the same thing again. And the, one of the most amazing things that, you know, I hear these testimonies from these same people over and over and over again, because they come into every class and give the testimonies. And uh, 
the the victims that come in always talk about how they found forgiveness for the people that, that committed the crimes against them. And some of them are just like, you know, horrifying crimes and they found forgiveness and they want to, they come back and, and their real message to the inmates is, you know what, you can find forgiveness for what's happened and what you've done and what's happened in your life as well. And that is just, such, you know, like we were talking earlier, that, that message of forgiveness and hope for the future is such a powerful life-changing thing. And that's what, that's really what our goal is so that these guys don't get out and, you know, and, and do something that hurts somebody else again. Wow. Uh, and Bridges to Life, is that, um, is that just basically victims going into the jail and, and sharing their testimony? Or is there another component where um, as the inmate leaves, there's, there's support for that? Well, it's a, uh, it's a 14 week. Uh, we, we try to do two classes a year. Uh, I do it at the Neal unit here and they, but they do it in just every unit in Texas. And it's really all over the country. It's in, it's in a whole bunch of different States now, but it's, it's a 14, 14 week class. And, I think for those weeks, we have a uh, someone come in and we'll give testimony and talk. Uh, the other weeks involve, you know, going through curriculum based on, you know, responsibility, repentance, faith, belief. Uh, uh, and during that time, uh, every inmate, they have to talk about what they've done. You know, they have to, you know, try to explain, we give us their life story. What do you think? What do you think happened in your life that caused you to, to end up where you were? Uh, and as a volunteer, I do that every time I go in, I share my story. We all, we're all involved in it together. And they also end up, they have to write letters. Uh, they have to write a letter to a victim and a letter to a family member. Of course, they can't mail the letter to the victim, uh, but they have to write, they have to write it down and they have to read it to the class, you know, and, uh, and they write a letter to a family member that they've hurt, maybe a wife, a mother or whoever. And, uh, when those guys get to that point and most of them have never, ever done anything like that. They've never thought about that. And when they have to get down and actually write it and they write it out on paper, uh, it really brings things, you know, full circle for them. And some of those guys, you know, it's the first time that they ever really find themselves uh, admitting to what they've done, asking forgiveness, taking responsibility. And, you know, all those things just open the door for God to walk in and, and really make an impact in their life. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And uh, I, I hope it's going well for you. And I hope that um, you continue to have the energy you have and God blesses you in it. Uh, if somebody was interested in either learning more, I guess, about either Bridges to Life or Kairos um, and, or maybe even being involved or helping, how could they find out about it? Uh, you can... Google Bridges to Life or Kairos. Kairos is with the K, K-A-I-R-O-S, I think. Uh, but you can Google either one. They're national organizations. Uh, or you can, I would, you know, be glad to get in touch with, you know, talk with anybody. Or you can always call, uh, people People don't understand, uh, the, the Texas prison system is, they understand the importance of, of ministries and volunteers going in and they're very proactive of ministry. So anyone that would want to get involved, they can, they could get in touch with a, uh, you know, call a unit, talk to a chaplain. You can call a number in Huntsville. They have volunteer services numbers. Uh, like I say, or you could Google or, you know, you can find bridges to life 
in Cairo, South or anywhere, and you can get in touch with people and they will direct you because uh, what's one thing about it, we're always looking for volunteers because it is something that takes, you know, it takes commitment and it's, you know, you can do it for a while and people get burned out and some people do it for, you know, 15, 20 years. Uh, but I would just say this, that uh, the impact that the volunteers have on the, on the inmates is tremendous, but there is also a huge impact on the volunteer themselves. I've heard so many volunteers talk about, man, just, it helps, you know, there are, there are a lot of religious people, religious people that go to church and, and, and great people, but when they go into prison and they face, you know, face these circumstances and have to hear these other people talk about, it makes them realize their attitudes maybe towards prisoners or something, you know, and, mm. and it, it unveils, you know, a lot of times stuff that's deep down in them. And it, it, it's, it can be life changing for the volunteers as much as it's life changing for the, for the inmates. I believe that. I bet. I, I almost, you know, if I consider doing it, it kind of scary, like just the, uh, the thought of facing that kind of forgiveness and introspection. That's, a uh, big challenge, I I think. So, I, Ken, I I love talking with you, and you know we hit it off last time we we met, and I, I could pick your brain about it forever. But um, we're at we're at thirty minutes, and this is uh something I'm trying to keep short. So I really appreciate you visiting with me, man, and, and talking and sharing what you do and what you're about. Um, if if you ever need anything from me, please call me. Uh, I'd be more than happy to to help in any way I can, and. Uh, I hope to see you again soon. Awesome. Yeah. How, how are your mom and dad doing? Very well. Um, they've been, I going, haven't seen them since the COVID thing. Yeah. We've been, uh, you know, they've been of course locked down and my dad's trying to do as little as possible, uh, cause of how much, uh, you know, he's flying close to the sun, I guess you could say with the COVID stuff, but, yes. uh, yeah. um, you know, they've been able to see the grandkids quite a bit, thankfully. And they're, they're happy about that. And we've had, july is like birthday month for our family so we've had maybe five birth four or five birthdays for our whole family so we're we're having a good time right now that's pretty cool yeah yeah well it's good to see you let's uh let's connect after after we hang up and and meet up again sometime yes let's do that i, I really appreciate you buddy thanks ken i appreciate you man you're welcome Bye-bye. bye All right, episode's over. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. Please leave a review. It really helps me know what you want to hear and what you like about the podcast. If you want to be on the podcast in the future sometime, reach out on Facebook, Tumbleweed Home Inspections. This is the Tumbleweed, a home inspector's journal. Host, Gentry Giles, out.